Mad Men Happy Hour, the officially unofficial podcast for Mad Men on AMC. I'm Jim. And I'm Aaron. And tonight we're covering Season 7, Episode 3, entitled Field Trip. Get a lot of uh, field trips in this episode, a couple of them anyway. That's true. Um, do you want to talk anything about what you thought of this episode before we get into the recap? Uh, I, I'm i powerless to resist the the wiener's charms. I still <laughs> I continue to think it's a great episode. Yeah. Uh, it's It's like... I don't, uh, maybe it wasn't quite as good as last as, as, as last one. That's shocking because I thought this was the best episode of the season so far. I'm, I, I, they're all they're all fucking good. And I what I really enjoy most about this season is it seems like this is the, this is the season that Don is changing. Whether he redeems himself and whether he actually gets any kind of karma, I I really like the fact that he seems to be learning from his mistakes. We're seeing a hungrier Don. We're seeing a Don that is ready to get back to work. Hungrier, less thirsty, though. Less, it better be. <laughs> he better, hope. let's hope he doesn't get any dry pie, because that would be a major obstacle for him at this point. He can't drink. No, I mean, he can drink, a little bit. He's cut back, though. No, he can't drink at, uh, during office hours at all. Oh, no, 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 not anymore. Not but you know what they say, Jim. Hmm. The great thing about water is you can drink it at work, and the nice thing about vodka is it looks like water. <laughs> <laughs> okay, is that a Rogerism? I don't know. It's something I something I picked up uh, somewhere okay. in my travels. All right, well, let's get into the recap. We start off with uh, just Don sitting in a movie theater watching a movie. I hear you did a little bit of research on this movie. Found out what the name was. The littlest bit. It's <laughs> uh, it, it's it's another on the nose Mad Men reference. Mm. The model shop or model shop rather, made by the the great Jacques Demet. I don't know how you pronounce the name. Okay, but uh, you'll never believe what the plot is. It's about a man getting in a rela- an out of work, struggling, unemployed man that's in a relationship with a actress. Or a model and would-be actress. Hmm. Shocking. I don't think I've ever heard that story before. No, it's <laughs> it's it's one of those uh, really original things that uh, Mad Men. No, it's it, seriously. I you know some people get annoyed by these things. I I don't feel like if you if you didn't know this, it's just something Don's doing. We know that he used to go to tell, um, movies to inspire himself. Mm-hmm. You know, clearly he's trying to gird himself up to make a big decision, a big change one way or another in this episode uh and the fact that this is playing and it's very thematically appropriate doesn't bother me at the slightest yeah and there's i mean typically what you want to do is set the tone and the theme for the entire episode up front and i think that's what they're doing here i mean the the story is has even a lot more similarities than the general synopsis led on right um I mean, this this is a guy in this movie who is unable to commit to anything or anybody. He's kind of just wandering aimlessly through life, and that feels a lot like Don has been uh, with everything but his job. You know, he hasn't been able to commit really to anyone—not his kids, not his wives, yeah. nothing. And again, the great thing is you don't have to know any of this to enjoy or appreciate the episode. It, it's sure. just if you 
You know, I imagine. I wish I was like 20 years older watching this because I'd pro- these cultural references would be a lot more meaningful. I think instead of just reading about them and seeing ah, oh yeah, you know, it, it's more just embedded in the cultural fabric of my being, and you know, I don't have to look it up. I just appreciate it as it's happening to me. So that's an interesting thought. Do you think? Who do you think the the wiener is making this for? Do you the think show? I think it's for him. And people like him. Okay, so that would be. I think. I think the wiener's about twenty years older than me. Honestly, I have no Probably idea. So. Uh, I mean, I think that's what any artist does: is they make the work that speaks to them, and then, you know, people who have roughly the same experiences in life, live through roughly the same time periods, will also appreciate it in the same way. Huh? He's only. I, I wouldn't have guessed this. I thought he's fifty-eight. He's only forty-eight. Forty-eight. So he's uh he's only got a decade on me. He these these he cultural even... references are over his head. Yeah. Yeah. Son of a bitch. He was just being born when this movie came out. <laughs> uh, this could also be an elaborate joke that the wiener is playing on us because this movie came out April 1st, 1969. Are we saying Gene Draper is a Mary Sue for him? This is the story of Gene Draper, who is also Matthew Weiner. Okay, sure. I think we just cracked the code. <laughs> All right, so um, the other interesting thing is the way they shot this here. There are a couple scenes where... They're shooting over Don's shoulder, yes. and he's sitting in the passenger seat of this car. Makes him look like he's in the passenger seat, yep. Yeah, I thought that was pretty interesting. Um, it might have just been a cinematography flair that they wanted to go for, but probably not, knowing the show. It's weird, though, because what is that? If, if it is deliberate, and I tend to think it was, it's weird because I feel like Don is getting back into the driver's seat in this episode. Yeah, yeah. And maybe that's where it kind of sets him where he's at right now, where he's just kind mm-hmm. of passively waiting. He isn't really trying to fix anything. He's just kind of passively waiting for something to happen. Yeah. And now he uh, – and, and the impetus is his wife's desperation. I mean that's sure. what kind of sets all this stuff in motion. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, and we see you know that setting off in this next scene where Don calls Dawn to get some supplies and she's too busy to help him. And then she tells him that Alan Silver called. And there's some problems with Megan. She's She's been pestering people to get a role. Mm-hmm. Um, and he wants Don to somehow get her to relax a little bit. Right. Um, find out that Mountain Dew is a client of theirs now? Has that always been the case? Have they had that for a while? I have, I have no idea. Why, why do you say I know they, they were did... drinking Mountain Dew not too um, long ago. Pete was. Yeah, I feel like that was in... in... Don makes reference later on about the Invisible Boy campaign that that's something Ginsburg's been working on apparently yeah. since he was in. So yeah, it had to be. It had to date back to last season, at least. Was it last episode that we were at Valentine's Day? Did we jump forward like a month and a half here? Yes, because okay. we were debating. We saw a little perpetual calendar on Peggy's office that said thirty-one. Yeah, um, which led us to believe that this must be the end of March, and it has to be with this movie being released April first. I mean, this has to be April 1st at the gotcha. earliest. So. so did Peggy just forget to update her calendar? Or <laughs> she could probably be, did, We yeah. could have flashed forward two months when we're at the end of April. Oh, hmm. I don't know. Couldn't tell you. Um, we just have to look up. We have to find out what school Bobby Draper went to. Uh-huh. And we have to go through and find out what day they actually visited this potato farm in real life on Wikipedia, and we can precisely determine what time this episode happened. <laughs> okay. Listeners, get right on that. <laughs> um, so we also, I thought a cool little um, reference here was to Twilight Zone. They mentioned that she interrupted a lunch with Rod, Rod Sterling. Rod Sterling, yes. Yeah. 
which uh, is one of the namesake, or Rod Serling, not Sterling. Uh, <laughs> not not one of the namesakes of the SCNP company. Um, and this guy's outfit, Alan Silver, man, he's he's coordinated with his wallpaper. Mm. Like, does he wear that suit every day? I don't know, but he's wearing, looks like five-pound cufflinks. Uh-huh, and a fairly impressive alligator skin watch. Yeah, he's he's got a lot of flash. <laughs> For sure. It's Hollywood. He has to. Uh, then Stan and Ginsburg try to cheer Peggy up after she finds out that her work on the St. Joseph's ad was not nominated for Cleo and Ginsburg's work on Playtex was. And this is not all spelled out in this scene, but it is later on with Lou. Um, about why this happened. But you, you remember the yeah. St. Joseph's uh, ad. It was the Rosemary Babies themed ad. Oh, no, I didn't remember uh, All the faces around the like POV of the baby in the bassinet. That uh-huh. was, she, she not thinks this is her best work ever. Um, when did Ginsburg go from, he, he's like gone from, being this hippie outrage that he's working for the man uh-huh. to an, some a, a gloating ass to just a total ass making the universal signs for honk honk on Playtex. Apparently, he's yeah. honking Playtex executive boobs. That's how he's getting ahead. Uh, what what the hell? I I don't know. Ginsburg is an odd duck. There's also something that was noted in Reddit where Ginsburg is. It seems to be sucking up to Lou. He's got a a yep. he's, he's using the same coffee mug as him. Oh, it's God. got his name, the Lou's name on it. Uh-huh. He's dressing in button up cardigans. It, it's and he seems like he's kind of the teacher's pet. Is there something? Is is Lou's just abnormally low standards? Is Ginsburg finally in, in, uh, able to just embrace his inner slacker and I not give just a fuck? Borrowing and... his dad's clothes, I think, is what's happening. <laughs> like, oh, dad, to, I didn't do laundry. He used to really care, and it seems like yeah, yeah. he doesn't anymore. He's perfectly happy to shovel the shit in Lou's face and have Lou give him attaboys and Cleos for it. Yeah, it's. Uh, I don't know. I mean, they certainly didn't show us that slide. They. They just kind of let it happen in the background. But on the other hand, he's also seems to be later on the episode one of the few people that is genuinely kind of jonesed about the return of Don. Yeah, maybe which... maybe Don. I mean, going in, Don was kind of his inspiration, right? I mean, he he glommed on to Don immediately. Yeah, I mean, the scales fell from his eyes pretty quickly after that. Sure, but sure. yeah, he he admired their work and mm-hmm. uh, he admired Don in particular. Yeah. So. so maybe having him back on as a creative force will get Ginsburg kicked back into high gear with his creativity. Could be, be to have a codependent creative relationship. All right. So then Don gets on a plane and orders tomato juice, which is my favorite drink on a plane, actually, believe it or not. Really? Yeah. Yeah. I usually order tomato juice on a plane. Ginger ale all the way for me. Ginger. Okay. It's That's another good choice. The, as the oatmeal calls, it's the magic sky juice. I don't I don't ever drink ginger ale unless I'm on a plane. Yeah. And then I always drink ginger ale. <laughs> I don't always drink ginger yeah, ale. But when I do, I'm 35,000 feet above the Earth's <laughs> surface. All right. Peggy and Stan are presenting now uh, the Chevalier Noir pitch to Lou. And he is angry about the time that they spent on this unauthorized art. 
Uh, Stan tries to say, it just it took, took a second, a second and Lou doesn't want to hear anything about it. That's funny. It's like, don't, don't interrupt me at the facts, Rizzo. Yeah, I'm chastising this woman here. Like, right. I'm tearing down this woman's self-esteem. Don't interrupt that. Right. What an asshole Lou is. He is, man. Top to bottom. And I, like I put on Facebook, he's got, and you noticed it too, um, our, my second watch was your first watch, uh-huh. and you went apocalyptic about the tiki bar, same <laughs> as I did. I'm like, this man put a fucking tiki bar in Don's office. Yeah, yeah. He's gone into the infrared of the asshole spectrum. It was incredible. Most people can't even see that far into the asshole <laughs> spectrum. Like fruit flies, certain species of bat. <laughs> That's what kind of rarefied territory he's in. Yeah, the disrespect involved Tiki Bar. And bringing that into Don's office. Tiki Bar. Yeah, I mean, Tiki Bars belong outside, if anywhere. By a pool. And, it's, By- and that's even dubious. Like, a Tiki Bar itself. And a low-rent Vegas casino. Yeah, yeah. There's probably By a the listener pool. that has a Tiki Bar <laughs> in their 70-style living room. There's a single <laughs> tear rolling down their cheek. Oh, yeah, we apologize. But- hey, man, maybe it'll fit in in your situation. It does not fit in in this fucking office situation. <laughs> there you go. It's like he got it. It's like he bought it at Big Lots and drug it into his office. <laughs> this guy also, he tries to pass off the idea that clients hate awards. What? Which blows my fucking mind. Like, I, I couldn't even follow. It was so insane, his line of reasoning here, that I could not follow it in the episode. And I watched it twice. I don't know. I What was he saying here? I guess because awards are for personal achievement and ex- excellence and you know how we kind of talk about reward shows like they very ra- rarely award the best thing and there's a lot of politics involved. Maybe clients mm-hmm. feel like they overpaid for something that somebody's like, "Oh, I got an idea and it's going to be my Clio idea." So they got sold and not something that's the best. Huh. It's it kind of I guess it's a conflict of interest. Okay. Because you're trying to do your best work for the client, and yet you're also up for an award at the end of the year for your personal best work. Yeah, so you may go out on a limb with an idea that doesn't necessarily serve their purpose as well, right? And, but or might win you an award, or maybe. And again, I'm not an ad type; I can't wrap my head around this. Um, the other, the other part that I thought is that it could cause a shitstorm among the other clients. Like, how come fucking St. Joseph's got? Uh, uh, you know, how come their uh, stuff got an award and the stuff we paid you just as much money didn't? Like, did you just did you just write our shit off? Were you working extra hard yeah. on that? I mean, there's a lot of things, and clients are funny people. Well, I'm going to say that's the worked. reason that we don't make this podcast better, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> we just want to give you information, and we want to talk about it. We don't want to put clips in and bumpers and yeah, all that fancy award stuff. Award. Yeah, I don't need best produced. The, the, Come list, on. the listeners hate when their podcasts win awards. Yeah, they yeah. really do. Because it's, it's, it's suddenly it's not Hold about on, i got to put my cardigan on. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so Betty is talking in a at breakfast, I think. I breakfast, guess. maybe a very early brunch. Um, with some woman, and I know we've seen her before, and I can't remember where she's from. Do you remember who this woman is? Yeah, her name's Francine, and she's like one of Betty's old neighbors or in that neighborhood. Okay. And they used to, it's been, uh, when I looked up on the Mad Men wiki, it's been, I think, since season four since we've seen her. Wow. Okay. And she was kind of crying on Betty's shoulder about worrying about her husband cheating on uh, her. Mm. And that might have been even a season before that because that kind of, was one of the things that kindled Betty's fears, I guess. Okay. But yeah, she's just an old associate, and I guess 
we haven't seen her in a while since uh, Betty moved into Castle Francistein mm-hmm. and uh, moved moved on up. Okay, that's why I didn't recognize her. It's been a while. She probably has a wildly different hairstyle and probably. clothing, especially since now she's a she's a businesswoman. Yeah, man. real estate agent, uh, travel no, no, no. travel agent. There you go. Travel. I thought agent. she was all of the above. Really? I thought it was just okay. She's maybe a it's just a agent. travel agent. Um, she has a company called Wanderlust Travel and Any- Realty. Wanderlust Travel Realty, <laughs> guns, liquor, and baby needs. They just take care of it all. It's just, it's just a yeah. storefront, you know. Sure. What what you need? I got it. I, Dawn should start up a business like that. <laughs> Dawn. Dawn. Yeah, because she's doing everything apparently yeah. in the SCP office. One woman ass kicking unit. Uh, any significance to this name Wanderlust? I think. Uh, we could describe Don a little bit in that way and possibly Betty as well. I mean, she hasn't done much of anything. Like she's, when she's talking about how her job is, you know, three days a week in an office, she's like, Oh, that must be interesting. No, no, Betty. That's not interesting. It's not different. I don't think Betty is slightly, I think, you know, I think Betty felt very judged for no damn good reason in the scene. She did, yeah. Like, oh, well, you're you're do- and then woman tried she was like just a housewife at that point. Yeah, so, and the and the woman's even like, well, you know, you still got stuff to do because Jean, with the implication of as soon as Jean goes to school, then you're just going to be sitting around doing nothing. Yeah, and you know, Betty's also got they, they got a woman to take care of the kids during the day. Mm-hmm. So, uh, what does she do with herself besides just go to brunches and? Bleaches her hair. Bleaches her hair. Like, dyes it dark black and then bleaches it back to blonde. Sits at home and thinks in new ways to torment her children. Yep. That uh, I mean, that's a full-time job, apparently. Comes up with extraordinarily creepy pedophile things Fantasies. to talk with her, her husband about in bed. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, I think that's about it. Speaking of Betty's husband, Henry Francis, what the hell is going on with his political career? Do we know? Uh, there's mention about how he had hoped to be the attorney general in this scene. And they're trying to patch things up with Rocky, which I think is Rockefeller. I mean, he started off as some sort of uh, assistant to the mayor of New York, which, uh, was some sort of Rockefeller, maybe Nelson Rockefeller. Yeah, maybe yeah. is he, his nickname was his nickname, Rocky. Uh, did I don't he, know. when he, and, and I, I know he had ambitions to run for state Senate Senator, and was approached by some political committees about that in past seasons, but did that go bad? And was Mayor Rockefeller pissed off about it? And now he's kind of on the outs, and he's trying to get back in. Yeah, it's hard to hard to say for sure. Did he based get on let this. go? And he's he's just been going to Central Park to collect paychecks, so Betty doesn't know this whole time. He's <laughs> like the anti Don yeah. or same as Don. Nah, I doubt that. I highly doubt that. If anyone knows what's going on in his career, I would love to hear about it. Or maybe we'll find out more. Okay. Let's move on. Uh, Harry's called into a meeting with Koss, and he's kind of there as a a fireman, a fire hose, putting out this fire because they are inquiring about the SCMP computer and how it stacks up against the gray computer, which isn't an article they saw. Um, And he kind of puts their mind at ease. By telling them that their data is as good and going to get better soon with the addition of local data. Complete bullshit, we find out later. Uh, Harry Crane killed it as a fireman, though. <laughs> he did. He came in, he put that fire out. 
And I thought Cutler jumping his shit about this. I, he's jumping his shit about stuff that Harry doesn't have any control over. And in fact, as Harry yeah. says, and we've seen this to be true, he's got no respect in this company. No one listens to him. Uh-huh. Even going back last year, Joan was extolling the virtues about Harry Crane and his room full of computers, and what's his, <laughs> it's just all bullshit. He's been spinning this web as our computer when it's in fact just a computer somewhere in the building. But that merging the local or, or to the someone, nas- somewhere in another building, merging that local to national data is a fantastic idea. It's almost ahead of its time. Well, if if SC and P could develop that technology, it would be amazing. Isn't that what the Jaguar dealer wanted to do? <laughs> What? Go local with the campaign. Oh, that's we true. need. We need to talk about. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, maybe not the greatest idea for him, but yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know. It's a complete fabrication, as we find out later, which has um, consequences, I guess, later on for kind of everyone involved, uh, all the partners, Don especially, uh, and Jim Cutler seems to be up in arms about it. And I, you know, I hate Cutler making putting me on the side of Harry. But I love Harry's reaction to this. He's just like, you know what? This conversation's over. I'm really not interested. I'm not interested in this bullshit. Yeah, yeah, that was incredible. Uh, And that's, you know, it was very, very funny the way he said it (laughs) and just left. Uh, Because Harry's not a partner. Harry's just a head of a department. One of the wings of this company. He's wanted to be made partner. He's wanted Uh a lot of different things. I also like the fact that he's kind of got a fairly conservative haircut, but his chops are just wild and untamed. (laughs) Yeah. Like some ruly jungle. A lot of chops. A lot of chops going around. Uh, Pete, last episode, has been growing out his chops. They're getting pretty long. The Uh, famous Campbell chops. Yeah. Yep, and and matching it up with the famous receding Campbell hairline is just <laughs> comic gold. I love it. Ah, yes. So then Don surprises Megan at her house, and he gets an extra special hankering. Oh, mm. yeah. She's very happy to see him. Do you think that involved either end of the digestive system? <laughs> I, <laughs> wow. Uh, I do not know, and I don't care to think about it. You know what? This conversation is over. I'm really not interested. <laughs> Moving on. Betty promises to go on Bobby's field trip, and he's super excited. Uh, weird to see Betty's attitude in this episode because she seems to be taking an interest in her kids' lives. Well, this is a this is crazy. Com- the complete reaction to her uh, thesis that the children are their own reward. And this is sure. her consciously trying to refute the jealousy she feels over her uh, friends' fulfill, sudden fulfillment and happiness. Yeah. And it shifts her completely into unreasonable bitch mode because she goes and just rides Carla. To, are, are we on 2.0 or 3.0 now? Uh, I the think woman it might taking, be 3. Yeah the, yeah. the woman taking care of her children and, and, and being bitchy to them. Uh, but, you know, it's funny because she said that none of her children love her. Bobby is still mm-hmm. very much lo- – I mean he's right on the cusp of where mom and dad stop being cool another uh-huh. two, three years. But it's when he finds out he's going to the field trip, it's like the greatest news ever. Yeah. And he can't wait to find out how they grow the eggs. Uh, it's funny <laughs> because on Sunday we went out to play golf and we happened upon – Golf, disc golf, to I, be I fair. don't want to start that bullshit ball golf. It's whatever. We played the hippie All version right. of golf. And we're walking through we, – we didn't play the last 18 hole because these fucking people were camping in the middle of our green. 
And it turns out there's some kind of historical reenactors, and this country bumpkin accosted us and started telling a whole bunch of city slicker stories, one of which is a kid that didn't know what an egg was. And Mm. she just had a good old laugh at that, and I'm like, Jesus Christ, who the hell doesn't know what an egg is? (laughs) Bobby Draper. Apparently, yeah. Does not know where eggs come from. Won't he be surprised when he finds out they're from chicken vagu and not from the ground? <laughs> I think I had that dish the other night. Chicken vagu. Uh, after Parmesan encrusted chicken vagu. <laughs> after hankering, uh, Don tries to give Megan some advice about dealing with rejection because, you know, he has some experience with it. But it turns into a fight, and Don tells Megan that uh, eventually has to tell Megan that they put him on leave. And she's very hurt by that because he could have been in California that whole time. Uh, so she kicks him out of the house and sends him packing back to New York. Yeah, this – and it, I think this is a conscious highlighting of the difference between Betty and Megan. You know, Betty, who in this very la- uh, episode is labeled old-fashioned versus Megan, mm-hmm. who's more of a modern woman. Don used to take uh, Betty's psychiatrist phone calls direct. Oh, yeah. yeah. And if if – I'm not sure if – Betty ever found out about that, but if she did, I think that she would just take it in stride. Like, oh, well, you know, he's my husband, and, you know, it's his job to vote. Sure. Megan was fucking horrified. Yeah. Rightfully so, that her agent would have the temerity to call Don about an issue he's having with her. Yeah. Yeah. The other interesting thing is Don is telling her, you can't do this. This is not the behavior that, that, that gets you ahead. Is this not the behavior that got Don Draper ahead? Is he not the one that pulled a whole bunch of desperate, shady shit to get the job for Roger uh, uh, Sterling in the first place? Sure, he definitely did. Is he not showing up to Roger's uh, love shack with 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 uh, showing him his offer letter that he hasn't even read? I mean, that's the height of desperation. Sure, absolutely. I mean, he's doing and, everything. And he's, he's at doing. the height of desperation and showing up to the office and doing that stuff. I mean, he's berating or telling Megan that she's acting crazy for doing the exact same shit that he's doing. Sure. And, and Megan, you know, reacts to that and says, uh, what do you think? You're going to pull me out of bathtub with my wrist slit. And I assume that's an allusion to some event, something, but I didn't have time to research that. I think that's how that's common way for people to commit suicide. Yes, I know. Maybe it's a house cards reference. I think Britney Spears (laughs) did it in a music video. Uh, okay anyway but don the key point here is don didn't really want megan to know about his job until he fixed it right um and she obviously doesn't see the importance of that to don she just sees the betrayal that he could have been out there with her and he wasn't and rightfully so yeah i think it's interesting Mm -hmm. how don seems to finally with the women in his life be trying to tell the painful truth even though and this, you know, that seemed to work right away for his daughter, Sally. Sure. Megan gets the implication that, whole oh, shit, you know, you've been keeping up the facade and it's cost me and it's cost our marriage. Well, I mean, you have to go look at what happened with Sally. She was still – she was very angry up to the point where he apologized for lying. Right. And Don has not done that yet until later in this episode. So I think that's kind of one of the key things. He needs to tell the truth and he needs to apologize for not telling the truth in the first place. I don't know what he needs to do because it's still the jury's out. It seems like they'll sure. probably reconcile again. I feel like they will. Yeah. Uh, although man, how, you know, we've, we've had this conversation at least six times about, yeah, they'll probably come back around. Uh, wouldn't it be ironic if Don on the cusp of getting things right ends up losing Megan for good? 
Like this is it's you know he he waited one last fight too many. Yeah, I, I would not put that past the show. Mm. Certainly, I don't know that Don needs a happy ending does or deserves like, one. But does it seem like Megan's career is petering? I didn't get that, but I was reading Steppenwall's review and he's talking about how you know she's closing in on thirty. Her only claim to fame is a B character on a minor soap. Mm-hmm. Uh, could and she's you know had a commercial. Uh, is it possible that she's just petering out and what might be the resolution of this is she moves back to New York to do, you know, to settle in? I don't know about the New York part, but I do know that this episode made it feel like she is having trouble getting work at this point. Um, But, I mean, she hasn't been out in L.A. for long. Especially because Alan is saying that her performance was adequate. Yeah, that's not high praise. No. Like, they didn't hate her. They didn't throw her out of the room immediately. Well, that's also, he keeps on calling her as, like, you know, the status as new girl in town. Well, she's been out there for how long do you get to be the new girl in town in Hollywood? Uh, probably not long. I was thinking, I like, 15 minutes, and then yeah. it's it's a downward spiral. I mean, I, I think it might be possible for her to move back to New York and just accept a lesser version of success maybe she does some broadway plays maybe she does some more commercial work maybe she does gets back and does some more consulting for sc and p maybe she just needs to get her teeth fixed maybe, maybe alan is fixed. right that's that's what's holding her back <laughs> then she could be the new new girl yeah new girl new teeth uh that's the name for a new show won't be megalodon anymore <laughs> harry gets a call from the wall street journal and they want to do a story on his fancy new computer but <laughs> He finds out Cutler put him up to it, and Harry tells him, call it off. Get rid of this thing. Because we don't have a fucking computer. Cutler's line, you know, you have stiff competition, but you might be the most dishonest man I've ever met. And the way he delivered, like, genuine wonder. Uh Uh-huh. Like, he just saw a unicorn. (laughs) Pretty good. Pretty good. Incredible. I mean, I laughed out loud at that line. Are we underrating Harry Crane? I mean, he is a, he's sleazy. He's the sleaziest guy on the show. No, 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 no. What? B- grimy little Pete. Pete is not sleazy. He's grimy. Big difference. <laughs> Pete's <laughs> not sleazy. Yeah, I, I feel like there are moments where Pete is sleazy. I don't know. I think, like, Animal House is sleazy. Hmm. Okay. Pete's a little too high class. He's grimy. Yeah, yeah. He, you know, he, uh, Lane Price wouldn't bother to insult and punch Harry Crane. He's just a, too much a buffoon. Sure. I could totally buy that. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, on, on one hand, he's, you know, lying to them, but I guess he's getting some, uh, he's getting results by doing that. Definitely sleazy. Not getting a, you know, a partnership. I think he's the, yeah. of all the people that have been around since the original days. Yeah. He is probably the least successful. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, where does he stack up against Ken? Well, Ken's way more powerful. He's now, like, head of – he's the head accounts man. Yeah, but what is – I mean, Harry is a head of a department as well. Yeah, but he services accounts. I guess, Like, yeah. the same way with creative. I mean, sure. they – but So I, Ken is more powerful than Don. No, I don't oh, think Don's so. Oh, Don's just the head of creative. I know that, but I'm just saying that – and and for, I think he's more powerful than Lou, or maybe he's – like, hmm. maybe Harry and Lou are somewhat equal? Yeah, I mean, it depends on how you rate power. Do you rate power all in relation to interaction with clients? No, I rate power in just how much of, say I, – I always rate power and how much when your mouth opens and words come out to other powerful people in the company listen to you. 
Okay, but Ken Cosgrove has direct effect on whether or not they get an account. You know, Don like, doesn't. I, my old company, when I first got invited to go to board member meetings, mm-hmm. I was like, holy shit, I'm king shit. But I found <laughs> out there's actually a kid's version of the board table. No, I mean, not literally. Yeah, well, but of course. They they invite you. They don't really care what you have to say. They kind of want you as a uh, a, a human computer just spit out facts to support whatever argument they're making and if you you know try to put your own spin on it, it's like you know what do you know yeah so yeah. i feel like maybe there's there's some of that okay when we're talking about that but don it's like you know we we're kind of talking about this watching episode he he's on the bottom floor back when he was creative director with the other creative people he wasn't on the top four the executives sure. still probably one of the most power other than bert and and roger and even then, it's like he's um, yeah. Well, given, certainly not now. In any given day, his power could rival theirs. Yeah, not now. He's on the now. Outs. Now he's nobody. I mean, he's barely hanging on to his job. Uh, so Don calls Dave Wooster again for a meeting. They have a meal at the Algonquin, and he wants to seriously talk about employment. And then at the meeting, um, Don they give him an offer. Did Don you say gets Don the, Draper or Clarence Bernstein? <laughs> uh, Don Draper. Okay. Don gets hit on by Emily Arnett um, and thinks it's a play by Wooster to woo him, and then they deny it. I don't buy the denial. I think that was a play. No, and I think Don's kind of plastered on smile. I Mm. feel like that directly drove him to Roger's room. That is something that's like, oh, God, this is so low rent and desperate, and they think that of me. But but you, when I said that this was part of the plan, you you said no. No, I, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to not agree with you. Oh, I okay. think it's totally – and I, I was like saying no uh, that this – I don't know. I, <laughs> it's a, I can't understand my own self. But I, I'm agreeing with you that yes, okay, I totally okay, think okay. that. And I think that's what, what turned Don off. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. And, and it's also – there's this element of like them trying to get him to drink, I noticed, at both meetings. Mm. Um and he's like getting hit on left and right. And it seems like there's evidence here to suggest that Don is changing. I mean, the stuff that he tells Megan later on about not drinking, or I guess has already told Megan about not drinking, about not sleeping around. That seems legit. Hmm. I mean, we do see him in his house last episode with a bottle of Canadian club, like marking lines on it to see where he, he was drinking too, but that was a month and a half ago. Right. So who knows what's happened between then? I think this episode is telling us that Probably there is six bottles, <laughs> <laughs> based on the lines. Yeah. Uh, I feel like this episode is telling us that there is some change, some legitimate change happening here, at least in the short term. Yes, for sure. Okay. Um, Don goes to see Roger, and he guilts him into getting a meeting with the SCMP partners. K- kind of guilts him into it. I don't know. Roger was already kind of feeling guilty about it. Well, and they both had to – it's funny how easy it was for them to reconcile. They both had to – you know, it's like, I found it this place. I found you to buy the fur bucks. Yeah. The fur box. I miss you. Come back. <laughs> um, yeah, and I think Roger's been annoyed at Cutler running this place and even turning Cooper against him, turning Joni against him. Yeah. He's like, fuck this. I need, I need some more firepower. Yeah. Don would if, – if Don were here, this shit wouldn't happen. Nope, never. Uh, and he's not going to get help from Bert. Apparently, I mean, Bert's a reasonable guy, as we see later. But Bert's on Cutler's side for the most part. I think Bert's on Bert's side, one hundred percent, always. <laughs> okay, that's true. That's true. Um, Don then calls Megan, who has been crying, and um, 
he apologizes for lying and he tells her why he did it and that he's been going back to work. Uh, a lot of stuff here happening with their evolving relationship. But still, it's as she points out, you know, you fixing it would be to get a job out here like you promised. He's saying, yeah. I mean, he's again, like, it's kind of, bo- I mean, I appreciate his honesty and his apology, but it's kind yeah. of borderline offensive to tell your wife that, hey, things are going to be so much better because I got my job back. Yeah. So now, now I'm I can, stuck here in New York again. Now I can ignore you for a legitimate reason instead of made up ones. Yeah. It's, it's weird because he gives this excuse, like, I didn't want you, like, to find out what happened because you wouldn't look at me in the same way. And it's, like, not how I want to be seen by you. And I get that that's a hang-up of Don's, but that doesn't comfort Megan at all, I, and it shouldn't. I think that's a hang-up for, for a lot of dudes, man. Yeah, I think that's no, how a um, lot of dudes end up lying because certain, they yeah. can't fucking stand their public and private image getting out of whack. Yeah. But they don't want to go and through Don is the all hard about work image. To, to keep that up. Yeah, He always has been, and he always right. will be, apparently. Right on. Um, the only awkward line that I've ever heard in Mad Men is in this scene where she says, Stop pushing me away with both hands. That felt very awkward. I don't know if it was delivery or just the line itself. So I wrote because, okay, maybe this will interest you. I wrote in my notes, this is the exact moment where I've decided that, uh, shit, uh, Jennifer, uh, Jennifer Puri. Uh-huh. No, it's not Jennifer Puri. Jess, what? J- Jessica Puri? Is it Jessica Puri? Shit. I, I don't know. Megan. I'll look it up. This is the exact <laughs> moment where I thought I've made my decision that Megan is not a great actress. Okay. Because right. a lot of people are debating whether she's like, this was genuine emotion from her, and she's crying and doing all that stuff, but there was, you know, and it's a hard scene to carry when you're just on the phone emoting. It is, yeah. But I think that's what separates the, the girls from the women, the men from the boys, and I felt like that she is just okay. I can go along with that. And I think yeah. the part of that awkward line reading is just her not quite being like carried to material. Yeah, I feel like it's a hard line to say anyway. But, and, she, and she's not terrible. But John Hamm probably could have pulled it off, I think. Uh, <laughs> or Roger sh- Sterling could have pulled it off. But yeah, they wouldn't have had to write that dialogue for him because he just communicated with his watery eyes. <laughs> and his vodka. <laughs> and his trembling, massive upper lip. I, <laughs> I, yeah, no, I, I just think that she's, uh, she's okay. She's a... Uh, She's definitely more a January Jones type where she's very she excels good. at one thing. She's yeah. very good at the niche that she's in and she she she's a very good team player, but uh something like this where some nuances that she had to carry, I didn't think she quite did it. Hmm. Okay. We move on to Bobby explaining to his mother on the bus how the classic or who the classic monsters are and why Wolfman is his favorite and the best. And then the bus hits a bump and the farmer's daughter's tit nearly drops out of her blouse and Betty Boom. notices. Yeah, they're throwing red meat to ball move, not just with the tits <laughs> flopping out. But, but that, she wasn't very tan. It was more like white pasty meat. <laughs> For a farmer's daughter, come on. Uh, well, she's a teacher. She's not. She's a farmer's daughter, but she's not like slopping hogs and getting up at five in the morning. Why not? Four in the morning because she's a teacher. <laughs> okay. Did you miss that part of the episode? No, I okay. got it. Yeah. Um, you do the farming before you go to your teacher job. Ah, I see. I see. That's why she doesn't have time to put on a bra. Fair enough. Like those hogs. Soon, no sooner she slop them, she got to jump in the shower and go. Go. <laughs> oh, oh, the real hogs. I thought you were talking about something else. The children? What? <laughs> no. You know what? I'm not interested in this conversation. <laughs> okay. Uh, no, but they also throw some red meat and all these obvious monster movie references. You know, Betty and yeah. her kids live in a monster monster castle. Mention Don, of Frankenstein. And Don this. sleeps like a vampire. It's yep. all coming together. 
Bobby wants to be a Wolfman because he changes. That's why it's his favorite. Mm, and and Betty's uh, multiple people in one body. I don't <laughs> okay. know. That's like some kind of... Uh, uh, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde? Shit, yes. Thank you. All right. I was trying to go for the uh, Extraordinary Gentleman. I was reaching for that. Ooh, League of Extraordinary yeah. Gentlemen? Wow. That's the Drapers. Bobby's a wolf boy. He's nat. He 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 would love he'd love to go visit Megan's home because he's got all those you know children of the night howling. Hmm. All right. Canyon coyotes. Let's move on. Don goes into the SCMP office and ends up in the creative bullpen where he starts working before he's even had the meeting about whether or not he's going to start working. Nearly everyone in the office comes to see him at some point, and then Lou calls Jim Cutler because he's uh, offended by Don's presence. Get him um, on a horn. Uh, what did you think about the split scenes of okay. Don Perfect. looking at his watch versus the first-person shots of him going into the office? How did that make you feel? I liked that. It showed me exactly how worried he was about this meeting. Uh, we've never seen Don sit and wait. Like, he was ready early, just sitting in a chair, looking at his watch, thinking about this meeting. It stressed me out. Yeah. And in fact, as the day went on, I started thinking, and Roger didn't show up. I started thinking, what if this is the episode that Roger dies? <laughs> oh, God. Would Sherry's you, killed him. Can you imagine how humiliating that would be? I mean, okay, this makes me sound like an ass because the first thing I thought of was how humiliating it was for Don. But, mm-hmm. you know, it would be an interesting way to send off that character that there's an extra tragic twist that he gave Don back the keys to the kingdom, and now Don would never get it. Because huh. Roger is the only reason he's back. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I wonder, like, in this scene where they have the actual meeting and Roger defends him, do people not realize at some point, does it take Roger being there to realize what a cost it would be for them to fire Don? See, that's the other thing, is we kind of give Roger shit about not caring and not being on his game, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. I feel like that this has kind of galvanized Roger a little bit, too, because he was on his game. He put every one of the other partners back on his heels. Oh, yeah. Not only was he passionately defending his friend Don Draper, you know, he's a genius, he does that, but he was saying, you know, don't forget he's a partner and we got to buy him out. It'd take us to 74 to pay that off. And also, during those four years or four or five years, how are you going to feel when we show up to a client meeting and Don's sitting outside on Mary Wells' lap. Yeah, I mean, remember the whole reason that these two companies got together, uh, one of the big reasons is because they nearly busted out when Lane died, mm-hmm. right? They had to pay out a big uh, – they had to buy him out of it his wasn't, partnership. I, well, I mean, yeah, but I don't think it was – I don't think it was hard for anybody but maybe Pete and some, uh, and some of the others. Okay. I mean, obviously, yeah, Roger and all that stuff, but um, – yeah. Don, I think, and there's different levels of partner. I think maybe oh, Don yeah. has just got, you know, he's like a, a big partner. Yeah, he owns a big percentage. I mean, we know Joan only owns 5%. He was a named partner. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, not of this new one, one but of yeah, the no, old No, 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 but you yeah. have to think that those shares probably got grandfathered in. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I wonder how much of the company uh, Cutler and Shaw own. I bet it's, I bet not as much as the others. Because for one thing, I assume so. there's two less. And another is like they. I feel like that's one of the reasons that Cutler has always been on this Machiavelli role is that he he needs to acquire that power. Hmm. It's, he's not going to be comfortable unless he's got a deciding stake in it. And he thinks that Don yeah. deliberately sabotaged Ted. We know that 
you know, Don was trying to do the uh, Tale of Two Cities thing and take the take the punishment on himself and spare this innocent man mm-hmm. marital life and all that hasn't worked, but you know, whatever. Yeah, and it's super interesting how that all plays out with Don and Peggy's relationship as well, and we'll see a little bit of that here. Mm-hmm. Um, like Peggy asks in this scene, "What what's he doing here?" I love Meredith's reaction. Who cares? <laughs> She's just like over the moon for Don. One other thing that I thought, and I might be crazy, I feel like they tailored John Hamm's suit like a half size too small. I think you're right. Like like if you look at his collar, it looks like if he wears a 17, it's a 16 and a half, and everything's just and and I. I if if so, it's a brilliant decision because it just made him look like he was so uncomfortable in his skin. He's also got his his suit coat unbuttoned, uh-huh. which is something Don almost never does when he right. moves, walks into the office. I don't right. think we've ever seen that. Right, and I thought because I think at one point he does button it, and it just does look a, it's just a hair too tight. Like you, you can't yeah. quite uh, you can't quite let all your breath out and and, and take a deep breath. <laughs> Um, and it just adds to the the tension that we see. With it could the watch. be that John Hamm just is that adept at portraying that emotion that it kind of you know he's actually puffing himself out and and making himself look uncomfortable. But it wouldn't surprise mm-hmm. me on a show this attention to detail if it came down from a wiener, Miss Taylor his suit, yeah. make that man uncomfortable. <laughs> he went to Joseph put a, A. Put Bank. A, put a space heat, you know, put heating pads in his chair, make him sweat. <laughs> All right. So then Bobby goes into the barn while Betty. Bonds with another of the chaperones over the farmer's daughter uh, at her expense. Just a quick little scene there. Uh, do you know what this scene was for? What was the purpose of this? Just letting Betty be catty with another mom. Yeah. Okay. About the, the, the boob thing. Some people on Facebook were feeling a uh, a lesbian flirtation coming on. No. I did not get that the – None of it. Uh I did not get that the school teacher was a lesbian, nor that huh. Peggy was tempted. Peggy, Betty. Sorry, Betty. No, I I didn't think any of them were had the hots for each other at all. I think we just have some pervs out there. <laughs> okay, not judging, not judging. I'm 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 there with the best. They <laughs> just wasn't feeling that particular flavor. So then Don meets Joan like and seeing, Ken. Huh? It's like seeing seeing pizza on a Chinese buffet. Pizza? Oh, I, I see you over there, and I'm not feeling you right now. Yeah. But I see you, and I appreciate you doing your thing. <laughs> All right. Don meets uh, with Joan and Ken in the, in the creative bullpen. And Joan goes to ask Bert why Don is here. Bert says that he shouldn't be there. Uh, you know, she walks into his office, and I think it's awesome that she doesn't take off her shoes because they're boots, and they would take a while to take off and put but, back but on. But his reaction is, it's fine, like, dear. And yeah. then as she walks right, he just has this, like, slight wince, like, uh-huh. uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, for someone that we speculated last episode as being a raging racist, this guy has a surprisingly Japanese office. I mean, everything oh, in sure, this office certainly. is de- decorated in Japanese decor. He's an enigma, man. So is he just racist against African Americans, or is he not a racist? And we misinterpreted that last time. See, I, or does no, he just no. appreciate? No, no, he's the a, aesthetic. He's a racist, but okay. Bert Cooper doesn't think of himself as a racist. Bert Cooper thinks okay. of himself as a high-minded, multicultural man that just happens to assume <laughs> that if people see a Negro sitting out in the reception area of his office. Then what kind of firm will this be? 
that's yeah. fucking racist. I agree. I completely agree. But it's that's an interesting thing about looking back in history is you have to do both things. You have to judge the characters by your own modern sensibilities and standards, mm-hmm. but you also have to kind of make allowances for the times. Like, for example, yeah, yeah. Don's fairly open-minded uh, about homosexuality, but okay. he's also capable of being exceptionally cruel to guys like Sal – when they put him in a spot and he has to. Yeah. So, like, Peggy is very progressive, seems to be kind-hearted, but she's not she above... She gives really awkward hugs, though. She gives really <laughs> awkward hugs, and she's not above uh, snatching her purse away from a black lady sleeping on her couch. True. So, just because they're liberal, progressive people for their time doesn't mean yeah. that they do horrific things, uh, you know, by our, by our modern standards. Sure, sure. They have plenty of hang-ups based on their their upbringing um all right let's go to the next scene lou breaks up a party uh in creative where kind of everybody's just relaxing and catching up as ginsburg says and he pulls everyone but don into his office uh did you catch because Steppenwall interpreted that as they were so up don's ass that they forgot that they had a meeting with him no, no, I got no, that no. he called that meeting just to get him them away. Yeah, completely. I okay. mean, Stan says we had a meeting, and then Ginsburg is like, "What meeting?" Right, and and Stan's just like, "Come on, man, yeah, go yeah, yeah. with it." Okay, good. I'm glad I'm not crazy. Yeah, Ginsburg is just fucking tactless and didn't realize what Stan was doing. Uh, so Betty then drinks some milk straight from the cow. I I don't know what this scene was all about either. Uh, it's showing her doing something that she probably wouldn't have done. In other seasons. I can't see Betty ever doing this before. I don't know, man. She surprised me. Like, I never in a million years would have thought that Betty Betty X uh, Draper was the type of girl who would catch food thrown at her mouth at a hibachi grill. Okay. But now she might be that girl. She drank milk right out of an udder from a fucking steel bucket in a barn. Yeah. Yeah. That that's uh, you know she's a type of girl that'll casually talk about uh, raping a thirteen year old to her husband. Yeah, she will. Uh, all, then it, you know what what can you do? What with else that? is there? Yeah, the only th- consistent thing about her is her inconsistency. Hmm. All right. Well, Roger finally shows up at the office after many many hours. Uh, actually, no, after about a half hour. It hasn't been many many hours yet. It will be though. Uh, and then Don tells him to call a meeting, and Roger tells him, "Wait here in creative." Um, <laughs> I love how Roger goes in there and he basically says he can do whatever he wants. Uh, let me ask Joan. This is my yeah. This is my company. I can do whatever I want. Well, let me go ask Joan about this meeting. Uh huh. Yeah. Uh, and then Dawn still running coffee and sandwich duty, even with her other duties. It seems like she's a secretary. Like I know Joan had two jobs, but you know her, the lesser of her two jobs was being the the HR person. Right. And now it seems like. Dawn still has two jobs. Like well, she's running stuff for everybody. Well, I think also there's a learning curve to that kind of stuff. I'm sure there is. You know, like Joan had been doing that job for years and years and years, and you kind of get good at yeah. it. You know, if you got people with raw talent, but you get processes in place, and you know which phone calls you can ignore and sure. what you can't let, what you can let slide, which can't slide. I don't think Dawn has all that institutional memory yet, so she's kind of still in, in the scrambling mode. Plus, I guess. She only does it for Don, so I mean, she's kind of the only one who will respect and like Don enough at this point to go get him sandwiches and coffee. No yeah. one else asks. I mean, maybe Meredith would have 
if Don had asked, but... What do you think? Um, we also we forgot to call out. There's a really nice transition that this show doesn't do a ton oh, yeah. of. Uh, you know, they've done it a couple episodes. I know, I think Signal 30 was one of them, uh, where they transitioned from a car roof to a desk. But this was really great where Don Draper threw down a magazine and it popped right back to Bobby's reverse Bobby POV as he's shaking out a picnic blanket. Yeah. Yeah, it was a really good cut. Um, uh, really like that. And... Also, this is something Betty doesn't see, but he saves her seat. He didn't want his his buddy sitting beside him because he wants to serve, uh, save this for his mom. Yeah, which makes the, the what comes next even worse. Definitely, uh, not this though. Jim shows up and sees Don, and he's surprised. <laughs> and then Lou tells him that it sucks. Basically, <laughs> yeah, he's like, yeah, he I doesn't get... want Don here sneaking in on his job yeah well he, he i think he's like hey i'll go down and sell newspapers but i'm still gonna get paid i got a contract which yep. is that's lose an asshole but yeah i he's, he's right. got a point he's this is this is kind of shitty um the thing is how don g treated jim when they first saw each other like, I feel like he was in full puffed up, I'm sizing you up and finding you wanting Don mode. Yeah. Because uh, you know, we're going to talk a little bit at the end of this episode about the implication of Don accepting this offer. <laughs> and there's two ways, I guess, and, and shades in between. You know, you could take it whether he's being genuine and he wants to change and he wants to be this good boy or whether he thinks he can beat all these fuckers. Mm-hmm. The Don that met and said, you know, it's like, Don, Jim, that dude... I think feels like he can beat these fuckers. Yeah. And I, I think it's a fairly unwise move going in there like that. Um, given kind of what, you know, Cutler and the, it seems the rest of them thought was actually happening was they were firing Don, giving him time to actually go find a job while letting him save face. Uh, I think that's a bad move with these guys. You don't want to puff up. You want to kind of show a little humility. I'm torn because, on the one hand, it would be cool to see Don positively change. But on the other hand, it'd be very, it's always cool to see Don kick ass in a boardroom. I agree. And yeah. that's still fun in a way that his sexual conquest quite art. Uh, you know, yeah. as we've seen all the human wreckage that leaves behind, that's not quite as fun. But seeing him just be a predator in a corporate situation is wildly entertaining for me. It'd be awesome if he could synthesize the two. <laughs> But yeah. that, like maybe people that we've been along the journey with, like Peggy, Joan, Roger, and him can be triumphant. Uh, Bert can die, and uh, Cutler can be defeated, and mm. maybe Teddy gets one over to the light side too. Because I, I like Ted. Yeah, he's he's not a bad guy. Uh, there's a, a quick uh, Longfellow deeds reference there, and I think it's just because you know Don is sitting back, collecting money, doing nothing, and you know Longfellow deeds inherited that big sum lump sum. Uh, Lou kind of feels like that's Don. It could also be somebody because you know I we kind of debated this pre-show. It could also be a reference to the fact that he was like these people that were against him tried to find him mentally incompetent and strip him of his fortune. Kind of like oh, yeah. he sees mm-hmm. himself being treated by the people in this company that he helped found. Sure, so there could be some of that, that. And he initially kind of refused to defend himself in that court. So maybe he's just sitting there. That was a reference to that. Anyway, either way you take it, who can get into the mind of Lou? <laughs> who wants to get into the mind of Lou? <laughs> Not me. I'd have to stick my head so far up my ass to get <laughs> in that mind frame. I don't think I'm that flexible. I'm going to do the next couple of scenes a little bit out of order so as not to interrupt oh, shit. Uh, the partner meeting. 
Bobby unpacks picnic lunch while Betty washes her hands, and then there's a cut to another scene. But when she comes back, Bobby has traded away her sandwich and completely ruined a wonderful day. It was a perfect day, Jim, and he ruined it. Completely. What an asshole, Those gumdrops taste bittersweet, don't they, Bobby? (laughs) You know, it's funny if... So reading between the lines, it's it's arguable that maybe Bobby really likes this girl and he's given her a sandwich. Uh-huh. Maybe this girl was underprivileged and she didn't have a sandwich. Um, at any rate, Bobby didn't he didn't do it because he wanted the damn gumdrops. That's pretty that's pretty clear. Yeah, and uh, I don't get I don't understand how how Betty could possibly have made this inference. How did this fucking ruin the day? She just chugged milk out of a bucket, for God's sake. She's, I, I don't know. I mean, she has been kind of holding up this fake persona for this entire day, right? I mean, she's trying to get actively more involved in her kids' lives. That's not who she is. She doesn't give a shit. I don't know if it's fake because, like, when her and Don got together on that camping trip last year with Bobby, it seemed like she genuinely enjoyed all their company. And I feel like yeah. she was kind of enjoying being the caddy mom and she was enjoying being the cool mom, drinking the, the milk straight from the tit and all that. Uh, yeah, but then the slightest thing happens and it all falls apart. That, and that feels very Betty. That is her pro- – I mean, that – she comes across like this raging narcissist in this episode mm-hmm. that anything that shatters her preconceived idea of perfection, she cannot handle it. And it's not yeah. like mild disappointment. It's crushing despair. My God, my children don't even love me. Yeah. I mean, we see her go back uh, and we'll talk about that when she gets home. But, you know, Betty is kind of kooky in a way that Don's not. I mean, the show is multiply suggested that she needs – uh, some 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 psychiatric help. Oh yeah, yeah. Where, and... where Don is like a womanizer, an alcoholic, but I don't think he's got like diagnosable neurosis. He just needs to stop yeah. being an asshole. I don't think Be- I don't think Betty can stop doing what she's doing. It's a it's some kind of compulsion. It's tragic. I agree, and I don't know. And she'll do it. I too. don't know what what it's going to take to change her or. Even if she can be changed, it seems like she's trying actively to change at this point, but she can't. But was that trying to be more part of her son's life? That was a direct result in a uh, that was a direct result mm-hmm. from a provocation as she saw it, from an old friend of hers. Sure. So I don't know. I mean, she did it to Sally. She's doing it to Bobby. Uh, yeah, I mean that's the point where she's we're going taking to do it, it away, gene, and then yeah. she's going to be the type of mom whose kids just never call and check on her and are relieved when she finally dies and that's that's a sad position to be in yeah well i'm sure talk a little bit more about that when she's in bed later on uh anyway we go to the partner meeting where roger defends don and he's um they're trying to decide whether or not they're gonna let him come back and roger points out that they'd have to buy don out to fire him and they lose their non-compete agreement which goes back to a couple episodes ago where peggy used this or i'm sorry joan used the same tactic with the shoe company and said, look, you're, if you take this in-house, you're going to be not competing against other shoe companies, but against us. Mm-hmm. And they don't want to compete against Don because they know Don is very, very good at what he does. Especially if Don is motivated and on his game. Yeah. And I think that was, I, that along with buying him out was the, the two key points here that really sway them to bring Don back. Yeah. Um, <laughs> another 
absolutely stellar line in this episode when Jim says Jim mentions Harry Crane. We get well, personally we really got to talk about is Harry Crane. And Jones like Harry Crane. Roger's like he's gone. Anything else? Yeah, <laughs> just he's gone. Let's get let's move on. Uh, he's, I, he's instinctively wants to fire the guy, even though that's not what Cutler is suggesting at all. I just uh, I so what well, Cutler's he mentions this. I hate what he did to Ted. Yes, so they I, – I feel like they don't know the full circumstance there, and Ted was unwilling to say that he had this affair with Peggy, and that's why he's going out there. I think Ted played it off like something else happened. Well, also, Don – I mean, he was – this is something we kind of debated last season where he was kind of waging this psychological war against Teddy to try to break him yeah. down. Mm-hmm. I think he's referring to that as well, and this – he's not privy to the fact that he arguably – tried i mean he he didn't arguably try he tried to save ted's marriage and his professional career and all that Mm -hmm. um almost trying to save him from doing what don himself is doing don't get caught up in all this other stuff um i i I don't know i don't know where i don't know where poor ted's going yeah i mean but it's it's funny because all these people lined up against him were pissed at don for doing things you know this is kind of like him reaping the whirlwind right these are things he's all done in the past uh, because of the who he was at the time, and he can't quite escape it. Sure, and he's I got to atone for it all somehow. Yeah, I don't think he should be able to completely escape it. Certainly not without consequence. And we see the consequence at the end of this episode. Um, it seems like there's a big divide about, between how Roger sees how the company should run and how Cutler does. Like Cutler, oh yeah, wants to de-emphasize creative folks and their input and their uh, importance and put it all on the accountsmen and the business processes. And Roger seems more think that you need to have dynamite creative to get everything excited, to get people excited and do good work. Yeah, he wants them winning awards, right? Yeah, yeah, that was a big affront that they didn't, and the fact that Lou only nominated his own shit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Roger calls that out rightly. Um, it, there's also Megan earlier in the episode asks Don, like, "Where were you? Like, I didn't hear any phones. It was completely quiet. Where is quiet in that building? It's in Bert's office. It is dead quiet in Bert's office. The insulation in there, the glass is somehow completely soundproof. It's this Feng Shui. It's just." <laughs> Yeah. He studied the ancient Eastern arts, and they just repel all sound waves. Noise canceling. I like it. It's uh, feng shui, isn't it? God I help don't me know. pronouncing an Asian word. I, I have no idea. Uh, Henry gets home, and Betty shames Bobby one more time about the sandwich. And then Bobby wishes that he was never born, or at least that it was yesterday. <laughs> uh, That's the thing, yeah, Bobby. Man. That's the thing. You would have fucked up some other way. Yeah, you can't. You, you, it's it's like the ground, uh, the ultimate groundhog day. You can't you can't engineer <laughs> a perfect day for for a person like Betty. No, you can't because she's the problem. Yeah, I feel like even if Peg or even if Betty were to engineer a day, she would fuck it up at some point and get angry. So I mean, I don't, I, I don't know how to please her. I don't think it's possible because it's you can't make a an unhappy person happy. Hmm. They, that you have to you have to bring the happiness to to the table sure all right peggy asked don if he's coming back and he's not sure um she says that no one has missed him Ugh. uh i i kind of know the answer to this why is she so mean to don uh i think it's all the things we talked about in previous seasons where you know he's been this mentor caring person but then also very cold to her and demanding mm-hmm 
and then the fact that he was a shell of himself and wasn't doing the best work and but still berating her for her trying her best to do her job and then mm-hmm. i think she blames him for what went on between her and uh, ted yeah that's the cherry on top i mean he was driving a wedge in there to begin with using her as a pawn in this mm-hmm. battle um and then in the end he sent him away right uh which peggy was definitely not happy about and she views don as a direct cause of her not being with the man she loves but this not big problem <laughs> not missing don is bunk i mean Completely. it's a blatant lie because she in her heart of hearts would vastly prefer a guy like don to because lou's just as cruel and capricious <laughs> oh yeah i mean calling you on a carpet for for uh authorizing black and white sketches but then when the guy's like okay well, i just saw what a train record that was let me ask you lou should i take these to color ask your boss yeah fucking asshole so if you're going to have a fucking asshole, you might as well have one that's passionate about your job. And, and good can, at it. And is good at it. And <laughs> when he tell, gives you a genuine compliment, it is from a source of you know, a master. Yeah, experience. Lose a hack. Skill. Yeah. Lose a hack. He's, a, he's an asshole that's a hack. Don's an asshole that's a genius. Yeah. I would rather work for the, the latter. Lou is, not, Lou is not creative. He is a manager uh, and a bad one at that. Um, a cruel one and a spiteful one. Uh, he's not creative at all. We haven't seen him come up with any work, right? Uh, no. And in fact, what I mean, if you if you take multiple, even the the people defending him are saying, you know, like Lou is adequate, adequate, yeah, Cutler, he, adequate, yeah. <laughs> he's 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 fine. He's doing the job. No one's trying to argue that he's amazing. Yeah. All right. So Henry asked Betty what happened that day. Uh, she says that Bobby ruined a perfect day and asks if she's a good mother and she can't understand why her children don't love her. Oh, Betty, I could tell you why. How does Henry put up with that day in and day out, man? I don't know. I mean, he obviously loves her and cares about her and wants her to be happy, but why I couldn't tell you. He's an exceptionally grounded person because yeah. it just doesn't get to him. Not at all. And yeah. it doesn't affect his ability to love her. It's it's kind of amazing. It is amazing. Um and it's – I don't know. So there's there's this line in this um, in this scene where Betty says that, you know, it's just a matter of time. She's referring to her kids not loving her. Um, and she sees what happens – what happened with Sally. Sally's at the age now where her, her mother's antics are no longer funny, uh, are no longer endearing in any way. Getting locked in a closet. <laughs> um, and she knows that as these kids get older, they're going to start to feel the same way. They're going to realize that she sucks as a mother. Uh, it's kind of heartbreaking, this scene, because Betty sees what she's doing. She sees it happening and that it's going to continue happening, and she doesn't know how to stop it. It's, no, yeah. it's She's having this moment of clarity, but she doesn't have the tools yeah. to which uh, to dig herself out, nor the support, really. Because that's another thing. Like Henry, uh, you know, he's caring sympathetic, but does he have any concrete ideas to help her? I mean, he just denies. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I'm a terrible, I'm a terrible mother. No, you're not. My, <laughs> my kids don't love me. Yes, they do. Yeah. What if she said, why did you say that? <laughs> yeah. Like what? Give me a reason. Me I'm evidence. not a terrible mother. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, uh, uh, that one no, time. No, you're not. A terrible mother wouldn't go to field trips. Yeah. <laughs> Look at you. You're so pretty. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. Let's move on to the final scene. Um, I'm sure we'll talk a lot about it. Don tells, Sorry. Dawn tells Don that the partners would like to see him in the conference room. He goes in, and they offer him a deal, a shitty one, with many stipulations. 
Should I list the stipulations real quick? Well, so first we of all, of he, he has to he has to fight Burt Cooper, uh, Lane Price, and Peter Campbell style. That's stipulation number one. <laughs> okay. He has to bare knuckle brawl with Burt. Uh-huh. Assuming strip down to the waist. Assuming he passes that gauntlet, what are the other stipulations? Uh, he's not allowed to be alone with clients. <laughs> Two, he has to stick to the script in meetings, the script which will be approved by the people in this room, the other partners in New York. Uh, three, no drinking in the office. Four, he gets Lane's old office, Oof. which is depressing. And five, he's going to report to Lou, which oh. is even more depressing. Oh. How how fast, how quickly will Don break each of these stipulations? No drinking day one, right? I, I don't know because it reminds me of – uh, you know, famous character from Indiana history, Bobby Knight, okay. uh, who was a genius in many ways, but also a terrible human being in many others. And one of his last things he did is like he, I don't know, he choked, a, he did something silly like choke a kid. <laughs> and the school put him on like this like zero tolerance thing to, for him to, you know, if you're going to yeah. come back and coach, you got to be on zero tolerance. And he was like out the door soon after because he can't keep choking. So he can't stop choking kids. <laughs> Uh, he's just got these rage issues. Mm-hmm. I feel like this is Don. That they are, you know, putting the reabsorption absorption of his shares. That this makes Roger happy because they're giving him another chance on paper. But it makes yeah. everybody else happy because they don't think Don can do it. They and think Don he, they're is setting going to him up to him fail. Up. Yeah, these uh, are. It's not just that he can't do it, but these are unrealistic stipulations in the first place. Do you think, though, because Don cannot drink. He's been doing that on himself. I think he thinks that that's good for Don. Uh, Not being alone with clients, I don't think that's a problem for him. He doesn't probably feel very comfortable one-on-one with client situations. Mm -hmm. Not deviating from his script. That's tough. That – the client will deviate from his script, yep. and then he will continue to stick to the script, and it'll be stupid. It'll be stupid and a mockery, and he'll throw up his hands and be like, "Well, you know, you need to let me off the leash." I think that's the way that's going to go. Yeah, probably. But how's he going to reporting? Street, to how's Lou. he going to street fight reporting to Lou? I don't know. I mean, that's he's got a guy who actively hates you. I mean, Lou doesn't like Don in the least. Um, and the feelings mutual. And it is, yeah. And creative. And, and a guy on who the, – the, Most of the creative except for potentially Peggy. It seems like Stan yeah. maybe have a, still an axe to grind because he stole his uh, L.A. idea. Yeah, yeah. Um, Stan's a pretty big dude though as far as getting over that kind of stuff. But everybody else kind of hangs on him. This is every word. They think he's yeah. a brilliant and a genius. So when Lou sees that – yeah, and that could become an issue between Lou and Don. But the thing is, the thing that uh, that Don's got in his pocket is, I think Rod, I think Bert still has a, a a great deal of affection for him, and Roger is like ride or die. Yeah. They cannot fire Don on a technicality, and hmm. if Don cowboys it a little bit and it works, uh-huh. uh, and this you know Roger Roger already hates Lou and and lays all the creative blames on his feet. I think there might be some room. I don't know. I, I feel like – and especially the yeah. music that they ended on. Uh, what do they end it on? Uh, if Six Was a Nine by Jimi Hendrix. Okay. This is a song about being an individual and about flipping the bird to people that that <laughs> don't want to see you the way you want to be seen and you know mm-hmm. not going with the flow. Don saying okay and ending on this theme, that's got to mean something. Yeah. Is, is that just – there to punctuate that okay and say this is not really what don means it could, don don says okay but I mean, don re- really means i'm coming back to do things my own way 
I, I could believe it either way. Like the wiener's doing this as a juxtaposition of Don completely submitting and he's playing this defiant song for irony's sake. But also huh. I think that I don't feel like that's what's happening. I feel like this is They don't is do a us. lot of irony in this show. This is us being let in that Don is thinking that, hey, I got my foot back in the door and I'm going to bust this thing wide open. Yeah. So I think a lot of people saying that this is Don genuinely changing uh, as far as to the point that he'll meekly accept these terms. <laughs> I think they're wrong. Sure, I, think I don't buy is, that either. I think he is changing, mm-hmm. but you know his ultra competence at the office – he can't be that person if he's reporting to Lou. Nope, I agree. All right, that's it for the recap. Um, do we want to do a little bit of pimping and then get to our mound of feedback? Yes, there is a lot of different ways you can support Bald Move. Jim and I are part of this network, and we cover a lot of television. Uh, we've also got a lot of affiliates, but the way it all keeps going is direct listener support. And you can go to baldmove.com and click on the support button to find out all the ways. I want to mention just one this week. Uh, which is subbable.com. If you go to subbable.com slash bald move, you can subscribe uh, to our site for free. You can assign a particular amount of money that you want to send to us uh, one time, or you can make it a recurring thing, a buck a month, a couple bucks a month. Uh, either way, it goes directly to support Gemini's podcasting habits. And you can also save up and get some cool perks and rewards. There's, uh, you can redeem free t-shirts in our uh, bald move merch area which we've actually just put a bunch of new t-shirts in we've got some uh uh we've got a house of cards themed one uh we've got a couple of uh, breaking bad t-shirts in there we've got some walking dead t-shirts we're going to be fleshing that out in the weeks to come there's lots of different things you can do to get something back for your money other than the pleasure of listening to our podcast so we appreciate all your support you can go to baldmove.com and click on the support button to find other ways you can do that please give our uh mini affiliates a shot as well uh, I'm going to highlight one of those this week. Tom and Kelly on Up Yours Downstairs. Do you like stuff on the BBC? Do you like stuff on Masterpiece Theater? I'm talking Downton Abbey, uh, Mr. Selfridge, uh, Parades End. It was on HBO last year. If it's Edwardian England, if it's stuff, if it's got a stiff upper lip, they're covering it, and they're a very, very funny couple to do that. Uh, check them out. Uh, that's it. We're ready for feedback. Okay, let's do it. Um. Norma T says the Don and Shirley spinoff is obviously the second season of True Detective. Mystery on the Sunset Princess, in which they solve the disappearance of Pete's mother. Holy <laughs> shit, I'm loving it. Genius. We all know True Detective is not above flashbacks, and the executive producer has said the season two would feature two female leads, so why not do the story in the 70s with two fabulous ladies? <laughs> Norma, that is a hell of a suggestion, and I hope HBO takes that to heart. I would definitely watch that. Yeah. I would. I would be expecting the phone to be ring off the hooks for them getting that they're, they're going to want to option that story. Uh, Chris F says have a fairly obvious observation slash theory. Since we know final season takes place in 1969 and it seems to be constantly speculated that Don Draper's jumping off a building from the intro credit sequence at the end of bad men. I was thinking fairly cheesily, but obviously a historical tie in could be for Don ending it all. The day of the moon landing. As the TV audio blares one small step for man, Don takes one small step off a building to his doom. (laughs) Too cheesy? Too hokey? Uh, I hope Don lives. Just want it out there if it does happen. Well, you're hoping in one hand and you're literally shitting in the other, Chris. (laughs) That's some serious... uh, That... what? So, okay. Is that too cheesy? Uh, Maybe a little. Yeah. 
That's too too on the nose, in my opinion. I know Mad Men likes to do that occasionally, but at the very end, seems like a bad move. My faith in the wiener is such that I feel like with the right music, the right camera angles, and the right setup, that I would totally buy that. Okay. Like, I, I mean... We'd have to see. I don't know how they would shoot it to make me think it was not cheesy. I mean, Jason over at the Nattercast would talk about the D.B. Cooper parallel, about maybe Don absconding, yeah. jumping out of an airplane. We've talked about him committing suicide, jumping off Chekhov's balcony slash patio. Uh, we've talked about it being just a metaphorical fall. Um, I don't know. I mean, and I don't like Breaking Bad. I had a lot of expectations about how things should go. And like, it's like, what's well, he's got to die at the end of it. Something yeah. like that. I don't really have that expectation because uh-huh. it's not been, I've been, uh, it's the journey of, of, of Don Draper. It's not about karma. It's not about a descent and it's not about an ascent. It's just this character study of this man's life. And I just want to see how it ends. I don't really care particularly how, and I trust the wiener to tell, a, to finish the story. Well, okay. Benji doesn't mad me get a limited number of bleeped fucks per season. Cause I'm rewatching last week's episode and I'm pretty sure they just totally wasted one. About five minutes into the episode, Sally's friend says, how the fuck does my mom know what a prostitute looks like? Why would they burn one of their F-bombs on this? Hmm. I didn't catch that. I did. And I just figured that they only have seven episodes. So I feel like Matthew Weiner feels like he can – this is a contractual uh, uh, trap that he set for AMC. He can put twice the fucks in a season <laughs> by splitting them into two. Drop a fuck every episode. Hell yeah. yeah. He can have a teenager <laughs> do a bleep, uh, a neutron F-bomb. What's he care? <laughs> He's got two or three left this season. There's only three episodes to go or four episodes to go. Yep. So that's my theory on that. Dave in Houston says, where did the Shirley character come from? I recall that last season Peggy had an assistant named Phyllis. Mm -hmm. It seemed like they were on very good terms. I remember that Peggy comforted Phyllis when the news about Martin Luther King assassination came out. We would assume that Peggy is now assuming Don's old habit of changing secretaries every couple of months. Didn't Don go through at least three secretaries on one of the seasons? There's a lot of shuffling of secretaries last episode. Uh, and positions. I assume that happens on a regular basis. I think uh, Bert once a week comes in and says, I need to get that girl off the front desk, whoever that girl is at the time. He had some trumped up reason. <laughs> yeah, he walks out with that his shoes on and she makes a comment. She's gone. Get her out of here. <laughs> I just, I, she's wearing too much perfume. <laughs> I don't want people with the chemical sensitivity. She's wearing the new hooped earrings. Uh, she needs to. We can't have people looking in our doors and seeing that. Um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, I, I don't know. It's one of those things where uh, we probably won't find out what happened to Phyllis. Yeah. Maybe Manolo got her. The Manolo strangler <laughs> strikes again. Uh, Lisa S. said, as the viewer, I'm guessing out loud to the TV, he's going to bust Megan in California. He's going to take the offer. He's going to get fed up and leave. He's going to walk <laughs> away when he's given all these rules to return to work. And at every single plot point, I was wrong. Mm. It was agonizing to watch this episode develop. You know, I didn't talk about my first initial reaction because I was kind of going through that through. I wasn't, hmm. you know, when Don surprised Megan, my first thought was, that's not the reaction of a married woman who's cheating on her husband. No, no. Uh-uh. So it wasn't like I was making predictions. It was just 
kind of like I was just gathering new information. Sure. And me too. I thought as soon as they gave him that and report to Lou Avery, he's going to be like, <laughs> fuck off. Yeah. Uh, it would have been bleep though. Yeah. It had been a neutron <laughs> F-bomb. Uh, yeah. I, I wasn't doing that. I was just watching the episode and kind of waiting for things to unfold. Lisa continues, I'm confused on a theory of redemption for Don. Exactly. What has he done so far that he really needs that much karmic redemption for? He certainly hasn't pushed a kid out of the window. He's born. I was born in 65 and remember having a father a lot less put together than Don. The worst that he has done is taking on someone else's identity, but we understand why. He I was forgiven for that. The cheating, well, this is a great example of drama that doesn't have a neat and tidy ending. Although root for the best with Mad Men, I know how to expect about anything. Oh, and Betty is cray-cray. Yeah, well, we've speculated about how much of Betty's craziness comes from Don. Like, has Don sure. kind of made her a little crazy? And I think in some ways he has. I don't think it's fair to say that his cheating and his boozing and just his mistreatment of Betty has caused her problems psychologically. And he Don hasn't been able to do some of the worst things he wanted to do. Like, he was going to just run away with a girl in the first season i believe the Merker woman uh-huh. and not even think about his kids or his wife he was about to do that just to, on a whim to make megan happy and you know not worry about the kids and oh you know they can come over and hey there's disney world like you know again this isn't walter white right he's not killing killing kids and stuff him in acid barrels okay but he also is not a great human being and yeah there I... are a lot of american men and women who are not great human beings we all got our fascinating drama but you know i guess I, I i don't i don't feel like i need to excuse that i don't feel like i need to condemn or judge them either no and it's it's very much don's sins are not overtly just completely destroying anyone's lives in one fell swoop he doesn't do a thing that then causes someone to kill themselves or i mean Okay. Well, lame pride. Maybe he did, <laughs> but but that wasn't that wasn't like his decision to. I'm going to do something fucked up to this guy, and well, and his brother too. He's he's, yeah, yeah. he's alert, directly led two people hanging themselves. Uh, not directly. I know. I would say I very know. very I indirectly. Know. I know that was uh, a shitty thing for me to say. And that's the thing. I mean, we talk about this trail of human uh, kind of carnage that he's leaving behind him, and it all happens very subtly, and it all happens very gradually. It's not like he's doing these big dramatic things. Also, this, but he's ruining lives as he this goes. This man was a product of human carnage. Yeah. He's like a man that went into a 60-mile-an-hour head-on collision as a teenager and as a child, gets out of his car dizzy and bloodied, and jumps into a new car and starts driving. <laughs> like, is it any wonder uh-huh. he goes across the line and gets in the fender benders? It's, yeah, yeah. He's, you know... Do you judge him by how far he's come from the days of his father, who's an alcoholic, that died getting kicked in the head by a horse? Or do you judge him by, you know, again, what you would say a quote-unquote perfect man does? I don't know. He's just a fascinating guy to watch. Sure. Uh, Diamond Rattler says, Man, is it just me or the women this episode? Annoying as hell. Megan, Betty, Peggy, but especially Megan and Betty. I hope Megan does file for divorce and goes on her own way. Betty is just a giant child that I can't stand. What? On a side note, was it Anna Draper's niece in that white dress that came and interrupted Don's meeting? No, it was not. No, it was not. They look similar. Um, That's crazy to me. I don't blame Megan for anything that happened in this episode. No. I mean, it's all Don's fault. 
Yeah, and I don't blame Megan for uh, marrying Don. Why wouldn't she? Yeah. He's, he's interesting and charming and witting, and he looks like John Hamm, and he's got <laughs> lots of money. And he tells yeah. a sob story about his why, you know, and and he pretended to be supportive of her acting career. And he had this position, like, and not only that, but even before that, you know, noticing her ad stuff, the chops that she yeah, yeah. has genuine talent to, lest we forget. Um, so so I, I don't blame any of this on Megan Betty. On the other hand, yeah, well, Betty, but on the other hand, Horrible. I think there is an arc of Don having to make good on to all the women important to it in his life. Hmm. Yeah. First, he had to come correct with Sally. He's trying to come correct with Megan. Obviously, Joan and Peggy are the other two that loom large in his life. I think he's kind of made uh, – beginning last season, he made peace with Betty somehow by – Yeah. At camp. Huh? At camp. At camp, yeah. yeah. I mean, they seem like to be in maybe a better place. Yeah, I, so that was weird, but – It is weird. Um, maybe we should just move on. But, yeah, I don't – I feel like that's the the thing, and I think that if, if unfortunately, I think if it's turning you off, you're going to be in for more of it <laughs> because Peggy yeah. Jones still deeply unsure of Don, and he's going to have to do a lot to kind of win them back. Sure. Uh, Matt H says, "I've always liked Roger, but I've never liked him more than this episode when he was sticking up for Don to the partners. He's always cared only about himself, so I was nervous that he wasn't going to follow through with his offer to Don when it became inconvenient to Roger." I love that whole scene when they were discussing it. It showed that Roger really does consider Don as a true friend. I think Roger really meant it when he said that Don is a genius. Agree with all yeah. that? Sure. I totally agree with that. There's a little shade of Roger having his pride on the line hmm. because it wasn't just for Don. He also has been feeling like he's taking it on the chin of this Cutler asshole. True. But I think we've seen him just kind of like give up. Like he gave up on Pete. That was still part of his pride. It had to be the relationship he had with Don that made him actually fight for it. That's, that woke him up out of a stupor. Yeah. Uh, did we mention how long Don sat in that office? All damn day. It's all day. It's from 9 a.m. to 7 9 p.m. 9 a.m. sharp to – I mean, A little yeah. after 7 p.m. Yeah. It's crazy. <laughs> Just ate a sandwich and read Time Magazine. Yep. And held court. Anyway, continuing on with Mark's or Matt's uh, email – the conditions they gave Don seem harsh at first, but the more you think about it, that they are not that bad. He's trying to quit drinking anyway, so not being able to drink at work will only help him with that. Okay. Agreed. Not being alone with clients and sticking to the script can only hurt SC and P, not Don. Good okay. point. Don is great at reading a room, and if he's not allowed to improvise and save a pitch, then the blame is on agency, not him. Since they have to approve the scripts beforehand, SC and P is removing even more blame from Don. Okay. Having to report to Lou will be fun to watch. Okay, that's the one, yeah. Peggy alone makes Lou look like an f- idiot, mm-hmm. so I don't think Lou will still be seen as adequate after he clashes with Don. Especially since Lou can't help himself but be a complete overreactionary asshole. Sure, I'd buy that. Uh, Sully from Boston says, Don's return to the firm was obviously... Uh, was obvious the moment that everyone, uh, everything else built towards. We saw Don get rejected by Megan... Then to pump himself back up by two good offers so he could face his demons. As Don walks into the office, it was great to see his inner anxiety and simultaneously watch the impressive outward package. No John Hamm personal inf- reference intended. <laughs> I no, don't think he looked very put together. I thought he looked very nervous as well. I thought so, too. I mean, we kind of talked about that. Yeah. Um, no coincidence that at least two secretaries commented on Don's looks and Ginsburg on his smell. That was true. <laughs> Ginsburg missed his musk. Mr. Smell. Wow. 
Don is a quintessential ad man presenting a perfect exterior to buy, but his partners must meet to discuss taking or yeah, taking back the actual product with Don's known defects. We know they'll buy because the presentation is still so damn good. They try to hedge the conditions, but they let the wolf back in. They get the Don polished outer self and the troubled inner guy. Um, that's a good point. Rogers seemed pretty dismissive of the deal that that Don gave him. It seems like a lot of companies were trying to buy low on Don. Like he was a very talented running back that's coming off a knee surgery. So it's like huh. you're betting on his upside and hoping you can minimize his downside. Interesting. I didn't read Rogers' reaction that way. I read it as like genuinely, that's a nice offer, but what does that matter? Okay. Mm, I thought he was being kind of like dismissed, but that could be sour grapes and his gamesmanship right. too. Yeah, I, I'm not really sure how to read that. It's just the way I read it. Uh, Don said okay, but their conditions put his tail momentarily between his legs. But whereas we've seen the battles of Peggy, Don without the glassy exterior, and Lou Avery, I cannot fucking wait for global thermonuclear war with Don and that passive aggressive Mr. Rogers sweater fuck Lou. <laughs> sweater fuck. I like that. <laughs> I want to see Don eviscerate Lou and Roger take one last victory over that smug prick Cutler. Peggy can fire Teddy Chagaga over the phone when it's done. They may even be in the wrong, but regardless, we will still all root for Don and Roger and company because they are more fun. You know what? That's a damn good point. Even if Don still never redeems himself, it's been so much fun to watch him and Peggy and everybody else that I I kind of side with them no matter what. They're the one that brought side me to with this. Him? Side. Side. Over the C&C factor. Over everything. The other side of this. Yeah. Don versus the Moonies. Don versus the Hippies. Don versus, you know, I don't know. Yeah. The New York police. <laughs> okay. Don versus British Parliament. <laughs> Name a faction. I'm going to take Don and whoever he's with. All right. Fair enough. Is that it? No, we still got more. Oh, we do. I was okay. waiting for you to say something. No, not, fair enough. Not saying anything. Moving on to Michael H. Uh, I've worked for many years as a partner in a professional services organization. I have a couple of observations you may find helpful. He's the man with the inside information, our embedded corporate reporter, if you will. It's hard to fire a partner. Don't I know it? I've been He's trying. Tried. I've been trying to wedge Jim out of this for the last two years. Yeah. It's, those contracts are tricky things. Every time I just say I'm not interested. <laughs> this I'm conversation's I'm over. Yep. There are usually rules in a partnership agreement which allow the termination of partners for cause. So if you go to jail, have to perform some gross misconduct that gets the company sued, or fail a very obvious performance metric, you can be removed by vote of the partners. This hmm. is usually much better defined in the larger partnerships. I've heard of small companies where these rules are just not in place. Gulp. Seems to me <laughs> that SCNP would be like this, especially 50 years ago. In this case, you basically had to convince Don to resign, find him a new job. This is what McKinsey does, or go to court. I've heard of partners having to dissolve the partnership and reform under the existing partners when this happens. In this case, Don would be entitled to his share of the market value of the company, which could ruin the company, as Joan points, Joan points out. Even if Don shares only 10% of the place, they would need to pay him in cash. Partnerships distribute all the surplus cash to the partners, so they retain nothing in the kitty. They'd have to pass that around, uh, hat around a capital call to the partners and have them pay money from their personal fortune or be diluted themselves. It's very messy. Don's new contract terms are insulting, and I'm curious to know why he took them. No individual contract with clients? 
or contact. He has to work for a non-partner, no signing authority. I'd agree to the no alcohol part only if everyone else is also subject to it. In his place, I would have taken them to the cleaners. I'd go on collecting my partner earnings until we settled in court and then make sure the non-compete was voided in the settlement. He already had another offer. He must have something up his sleeve or be out of his mind. Would you do that if the only way to patch things up with your wife was to get a job? <laughs> but that's not – I know. I know. I'm – Me, I'm, again, if I can just get – please throw me in that briar patch. Can I find a situation where I'm – it's more important for me to be, sit at home and be paid for nothing. Sure, but what That's if you had, then had a wife buy. in California? I would who go wanted, out. Who wanted you to come out there, but you didn't want to go out there. But I do. I do. I want but that hanker. Put yourself in Don's situation. I want to get paid though. to hanker my model <laughs> actress wife all day. All right. I know you do. Don doesn't. That's what I'm saying. No, see, Don's got this. He's got this. Uh, I don't know what it is. This I don't know what it is either. Need but to prove himself, and I, yeah. I don't. I, I, I would gladly sit at home and get paid, but I'd do something awesome with it. Sure, I'd probably at least podcast. Okay, I wouldn't. I just you call that awesome? my pajamas. I think it's it's okay. <laughs> it's it's done. It's done okay for us so far. What are you diluting our product here, Jim? <laughs> you know that's actionable by terms of our contract. I don't think so. Uh, <laughs> Matt P says. Uh, by the way, thank you so much for that, Michael H. That was interesting. Um, Matt P. says, I think one of the most important themes this episode is growing up or maturing. We see Betty fail miserably at this when she throws a tantrum all over Kid's sandwich on a field uh, trip. Petty strugg- Peggy struggles to get over Ted and its long-lasting grudge against Don. Typically teenage traits. Megan struggles with her apparently childish temper and stubbornness the, uh, in the face of rejection. Also note Cutler's obstinate response to Don is childlike obsession with toys and technology with the computer. Stephanie, Anna Draper's niece, shows up at Don's dinner. Whoop, dry pot. Nope. Nope. Can't wrong. go along with that. Um, anyway, let me go say Don matures immeasurably. He swallows his pride and ego, accepting a pretty dismal offer in return to normalcy and sustainability to his life. Interesting. So Matt P is on the Don is maturing, and this is a swallowing of his pride and ego tip. Um, I am not on that tip. Yeah, I'm torn because of you know how much he's kind of had to swallow his pride a little bit and been caught in lies and had to apologize for them uh, over the last couple of episodes. There's a little bit of reason for him to maybe see that he needs to. Be, uh, totally. Show a little humility. Totally. And I think that can work as well. I just, you know, I want my cake and, and, and eat it too. Yeah, and I'm with you. I'm I'm still kind of up in the air. We'll see how it falls next episode. It's also possible, continuing on, that Megan's agent helped to orchestrate their breakup. He calls up Don exaggerating the right parts of the story, just enough to make Don feel rep- responsible and get him to come to L.A. The agent knows Megan's going to react badly towards Don, especially if there's any truth to her failure. Probably... This probably isn't true because I can't see what the agent's in game would be to sleep with Megan. Unlikely, but it's interesting to think about. Hmm. I reject that out of hand because I did not get a sexual vibe from him and Megan. No, not at all. I think, you know, he may. He might, I think his appetites lay elsewhere. <laughs> it, potentially, yeah. But, um, but yeah, I mean. I also think that takes away from the symmetry between Don doing exactly what he criticized his wife for doing and calls her acting crazy and the fact that that's how he started his career and that's how he got his career back. And I think that's that's super interesting and clever of the wiener. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, Louis R. says, after I heard the conditions for his return, I figured they were created so that they could tell him to F.O., and I was surprised to see him accept. Then again, given how much he knows everyone there respects his work in the long run and want his approval, it won't be long until Lou quits. He's already hinted that he will sell newspapers downstairs because he's a two-year contract and they have to pay him. Um, I'm interested in seeing him patch things up with Peggy and Joan. I think that's going to be very emotionally satisfying. Yeah. For some reason, especially with Joan, I know that they haven't had like the professional relationship that he and Peggy have, but I feel like they had something from the start. Sure. And it's not necessarily romantic. It's no. not anything like that. It's just there's some connection between the two of them that I enjoy watching every mm-hmm. time it happens on the screen uh, and has been sorely lacking. So certainly, I like to see that relationship most of all patched up. Do you know why? We talked about Peggy, but do you know why Joan is pissed at him? Uh, I feel like part of it has to do with um... – no, no, I'm, I'm actually not sure. I, I really don't know. Well, Don shit-canned the Jaguar thing, which he didn't know, but, she, but yeah. her Joan and Pete had been working feverishly <laughs> to get a public offer going so they could go public and, and be rich. Yeah, and the things that Joan had to do in the first place to get that contract. Negated both of those yeah, yeah. hard professional work and kind of the distasteful personal work that she did into that. And also yeah. – uh, Joan's character's got a long history of hating people white knighting for her. Like, she, you know, remember, remember yeah. when Peggy got that one scumbag fired? The guy that said that, you know, she looks like she wants to be raped and drew a picture of her blowing uh, Lane and put it in the, the bullpen window. Whoa. You don't remember that? I don't one, remember that. The illustrator no. before Stan. Uh-uh. And Peggy was shocked and tried to get Don to fire her. And d- d- him, Don's like, why don't you fire him? So she does. And she yeah. tells... Joan and Joan's like, oh, well, great! Thanks for making me look like incompetent and weak. Oh, okay. So I feel like Don White knighting against Herb also not only the other things, but also made her feel like you know he viewed her as a damsel in distress, and I think that wounded their friendship, which is not based on that kind of sure you know mentality. Tommy G said, "I really enjoyed the end of this episode where Roger stands up for Don." either out of loyalty or just to stick at the cutler, or guilt or boredom. I was, however, surprised that the other partners hadn't considered Don's partnership buyout, especially Cutler and his ex-wife comment from last week. Um, that's a, a valid point. I, I yeah, th- but he actively hates the man, right? As right. Roger points out, he's probably clouded by that. And I think also that he was saying, like, long-term, you know, three or four years down the line, and that's when Roger's like, you know... <laughs> What did you yeah. think he meant when he said, who are, you know, since when did you get to, are you allowed to talk about long term? I think just because he's such a new entity in the, in this corporation, Roger views this as his company from the very he's beginning. He's got his name on the door. And it always has. Yep. And that's the thing. Like, Roger views this really as his long term commitment, and these guys are just new kids on the block. When they discussed this in a group before they put him on leave, when Don showed up to that meeting at the end of last season, he even says, when did this meeting start? That's a good point because I'm very surprised they're that far off the page that uh, Cutler and Joan thought this was giving Don his exit with dignity yeah. so he could go find other employment. Presumably they'd get it, let him off. His, but the, that doesn't make sense to them because if they expect him to seek other employment, it would obviously be in creative. They're just going to let him out of his non-compete clause? I don't know. I don't know because he obviously couldn't go work anywhere else at that point. Maybe that would be Unless an, an out-of-court settlement or some kind of lawsuit. Hmm. Um, 
Why would the partners feel like they could impose sanctions on Don? Couldn't he just stop showing up and they'd still have to either keep paying a salary or fire him and buy him out? Why are they banking on him being desperate to go back to work? Huh. The more I think about it, the last couple episodes have shown Don doing contract work through other people with other companies uh-huh. in direct violation of his non-compete clause. You think that's going to come back to haunt him? No. You don't think Frankie or Freddie Freddy shows up with uh, some evidence? No. Or I, Lou goes to him? No, I absolutely like don't. Like your because... watch pitch was so fucking good. I don't believe you ever could have done but that. But how would they prove that? I don't know. That's the They'd thing. have to have a confession from Freddie and then some kind of documentation. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I just feel like – and I, I feel like Don's clearly been doing this pro bono, so – and he could always be like, hey, I gave him some tips. You know, he's a friend. He came over. I, I, yeah, yeah, I don't think that that's going to come back to haunt him. Okay. Uh, Heidi H said, I thought this episode was uncomfortable to watch. Seeing Don return to SCP in such a non triumphant way it was painful. It felt like the first day of school. You could just feel his anxiety seeping through, yet he was still playing it as cool as possible. <laughs> Don Draper with cracks showing. Ironically, it is the cracks and the underlying vulnerability that would give Don the opportunity to possibly forge some genuine relationships. God love Ginsburg for being the only key player to spontaneously bring him into the fold. Uh, a question. In fact, Don was about to leave. He's like, fuck yeah. this. A uh, question for the episode was, can you really go back? Can Don really fit back in SCP after all this transpired? Can Megan and Don really go back to being a married couple? Can Bobby find a way to go back to yesterday? I think the answer to this question is no, but the process of how it plays out is pretty interesting. Um, that's a good point. Maybe that this arc will be him trying to change and it being ultimately too late. Could be. I wouldn't put it past the show and Don as a character. The only thing the show could do to piss me off is to be not interesting. And so <laughs> far, that has not been the case. We've got three more to go. Uh, Adam X 6000 says, I it was so I was so sad to see uh, Betty have her field trip ruined by Bob, Bobby. Perhaps Henry can cheer her up by taking her to Disneyland. As a peace offering, Bobby should make Brett's uh, another sandwich, and as a token of goodwill, Betty should give Bobby a carton of cigarettes. Okay. She make Bets another sandwich. Hey, it worked for her. She did buy a little bit of her daughter's love by giving her that first cigarette. Okay, yeah. <laughs> she needs to give her a lot more cigarettes. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's the thing. It's like it's not fair to say Bob, that Betty can't relate to her kids. It's just she's so fragile. Yeah. Um, Rachel M said after this past episode, I thought it was interesting to compare and contrast what happened with Megan, uh, the agent calling Don and Betty's therapist confiding in Don in season one. It's only been 10 years or so, I think, but the way the women think of themselves is fundamentally different. Uh, we actually talked about this, so mm-hmm. we'll give a little bit of dry pie and move on. Rebecca W, uh, says, I can't help but notice the theme of girl power throughout this week's episode. We begin with Don telling Don. Dawn telling Dawn that she is swamped, a far cry from the woman who used to jump at his beckoning on any given day. Betty's friend Francine is taking her to her mundane life into her own hands by getting a job three days a week. Megan finally tells Dawn what's needed to be said for months. Roger's secretary is now fixing herself a cup of tea instead of waiting patiently for Roger. Joan refuses to take her boots off in Bert's office and was very stern in a meeting with the partners. Even Peggy spoke her true feelings towards Dawn instead of being cordial and polite. I disagree about them being the true feelings, but she did okay. speak him from a place of power. The only one that seems to be stuck in uh, 50s housewife mode is Betty, who, old-fashioned, 
The only thing she can do is talk about the promise of prestige through Henry's world of politics. Instead of relishing in the role of motherhood, she punishes those around her that do not give her 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 way. As a therapist, I cringe when I watch her with kids. Unfortunately, Bobby will be like many of the clients I see in my office, learning who he is apart from his mother's image of him. Hmm. Yeah, not a bright future for Bobby, I, I don't think. Eh, I don't know. His mother's eventually going to destroy him. I, my <laughs> mom was a, is is more like Be- Betty than I kind of am comfortable admitting. I hmm. turned out okay. Okay, says the insane man. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's all we got. If you'd like to add to the torrential flood of email, you can do so at madmen at baldmove dot com. Of course, you can follow us on facebook dot com slash baldmove and Jim over there on Twitter at baldmove. What else we got to say? That's it. Four more episodes, man. Yeah, it's a short season. Uh, Not sure I feel about that. 11 more episodes to go in the entire series. It's getting to the end. We'll see how all this turns out. Uh, next week, we'll we'll start the uh, end of this journey, right? I guess. We'll be over the <laughs> hump. Yeah. All right. So until then, uh, I'm Jim. And I'm Aaron. See you then. Thank you.